Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. And if you're listening to an audio version of this podcast, uh, but you wish you were watching it, you're in luck. We're now posting Scripts and Scribes podcast on YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel or visit scriptsandscribes.com for the link. Today on the show is a veteran TV writer, producer, and showrunner whose credits include King of the Hill, one of my favorites, uh, Marin, Brickleberry, Tacoma FD, Just Shoot Me, Wilfred, Lopez, Rules of Engagement, and many, many more. Welcome, Michael Jammin. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for Thank you. Us. Thanks for having me. Um, it's great to have you on the podcast. I appreciate you coming on. And we'd like, in, in today's day, uh, we have to ask how you're doing how are you handling the pandemic and uh, is everything is everything uh, okay with you and, and are you able to get stuff done today? You know, uh, I really feel more for my, my kids. I got two kid daughters in college and like they're the ones who's suffering. So I'm sure. Trying, yeah. Are, are they going to be able to go back to college? Nope. Gonna, no, nope. it's all online and the other one's deferring for a year. So oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. And how is, how's work going with you? Are you, I know some rooms are virtual and some rooms are not at all. The show I'm on, I'm on Tacoma FD now. I just found out we're going virtual. We were on hiatus. Now we're going back in a couple of weeks virtual and we'll see how that goes. Right. Yeah. I mean, from the ones writers I've spoken to who are in virtual rooms, uh, Mm -hmm. seem to like it a lot, actually. (laughs) I bet the hours are better. Yeah, and the commute too. Yeah, the commute's better, yeah. So I guess for a lot of them, they mentioned it just have to be more disciplined about, you know, having lunch at the right time and, yeah. you know, rather than just, I mean, I guess you know when you're in the room, i.e. the conference, the Zoom meeting or whatever. But mm-hmm. other than that, uh, yeah, they'd mentioned uh, specifically being much more structured with your time and doing it yourself so that you don't kind of get sidetracked as much and things like yeah. that because it's yeah, easy to sort of bleed in personal time and work time. And so, you know, we had a lot of fun on staff on that show. So we goofed around a lot. So I, I don't know if we get to goof around anymore. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, since this is your first time on the podcast, we like to get to know you guys better. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and mm-hmm. how you first became interested in working uh, as a writer in Hollywood? Uh, when I was growing up, I watched Cheers in high school and I was like, I want to be a writer on Cheers, you know? And I thought maybe if I got a job as a grip, then maybe I could somehow work my way up the lab, not knowing that the grips are not, they're not below, <laughs> the grips are above writers. So um, that was my goal. So I got a grad, graduated college and I moved, got in my car two weeks later, I'm in LA, I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't know anybody. And I just like, was just determined to break in. Wow. That's a... Yeah, <laughs> there you go. You're like nothing's going to stop me, and it works. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. Uh, so, and everybody's writing journey is different. You had mentioned coming out here. You were just determined to break in. How did you land your first job in the industry? And and how did you? Yeah, how did you get it? My very first job, mm-hmm. I was writing infomercials for Dion Warwick Psychic Friends Network. Really? Yes. And that, that was an ad. There was an ad in like uh, Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. And I answered an ad. And I think they hired me because I was literally the only one who, who submitted for the job who knew less than the people who I was working for. So like, let's just hire us. Like he won't challenge us because he's... Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that for a couple of months. And like, I thought I'd made it, but like, come on, you know, whatever. I was writing infomercials. Uh, then I what, got a, what did you uh, study in school? Uh, English literature. Okay. So did you, 
<laughs> so did you have writing samples that you got that job uh, from or I was did. it your resume? Well, to get that job, yeah. I didn't have writing. I had spec scripts. I don't know what, maybe it was a Seinfeld or something, but I know my samples were not very good. At the, oh, I at see. Yeah. You well, know, good enough for Dion. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she read them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. she read your work, right? Uh, yeah, she. I read. She read my lines, right? Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> no, that's. But I mean, I. If you're gonna have an infomercial on your resume, that's the one. Why not? That, that's the one, right? Dion yeah. Warwick read your read your work. Yeah, your words read your dialogues. That's great. Uh, and how did you get your first non-infomercial writing gig? Well, I, you know, I I begged people to get a PA job. And I finally got one. They wouldn't even hire me. They didn't have any money. But I said, what if I work for free? Mm-hmm. And they said, all right, we'll give you $300 a week. And I was like, done. <laughs> and like, that's not a lot of money, but right, it's right. better than nothing. Sure. And then I wound up getting a job uh, for two uh, showrunners. And they had a show on CBS. Uh, and they were Brad Buckner and Eugenie Ross Lemming. And they were terrific writers. And I worked as their assistant for a couple of years. And those were miserable years. And because, you know, they had me get their lunch and make coffee. They had me basically do two things a day. And I did it with a, like, resentful, you know, because I just didn't, <laughs> the phone, the, you know, answer the phone, the phone didn't even ring. And when it did ring, I was like, what? You know, it was like, really, I had an attitude, but they loved me. And then a couple of years after that, they wound up giving me and my writing partner, uh, let it, they let us pitch an episode, a freelance episode of Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman, which mm. they were running at the time. So we did that. And then that was like, oh, finally, you know, I got an episode. And then after that, uh, we had an agent and the agents dropped us. And then we wrote a bunch of specs together. We probably wrote eight specs together. We finally got our spec on the desk of uh, Steve Levitan. He was running, he had just created Just Shoot Me. Mm-hmm. And his assistant read it and liked it. And she brought us in. And that was it. That was our foot in the door. Really? Well, that's yeah. great. That's great. Um, so where did you go from there? Was it just consistently once you got your foot in the door in your first gig, you were just on off to the races? Yeah. I mean, we did four years of Just Shoot Me. And that was like, you do 24 episodes a year. It was a great right. gig. And then you'd go, you know, you'd have a two-month hiatus and recharge. I mean, it's perfect. Back then, it was not uncommon for you just jump around. There's so many shows. You, you just jump from this show to that show. So then at, at the end of our four-year contract, uh, King of the Hill made an offer. And we're like, let's go to King of the Hill. So we went there for five years uh, just to do something different. But now... If you were on a show, you would hang on for dear life. You would never leave that show to go anywhere else. You'd be like, nah, it's just mm. a different environment now with a different, you know, workspace. So, right, right. Yeah. Now, talking about getting your first gig on uh, Just Shoot Me mm-hmm. and having been a showrunner as well, what are some of the the things that you know now in terms of, either taking meeting with a showrunner, although obviously as a showrunner yourself in an upper level, it's different than a staff writer. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things you know now that you didn't know then? I had no idea how to break a story, mm-hmm. none. And it was a mystery to me. The first several years on Just Shoot Me, <clears throat> you know, you're a staff writer, so you're not really expected to contribute as much. You're not. You're not expected to contribute as much as like a co-executive producer. I think some staff writers are under the impression, well, well that person speaking you know, 25% of the time, I have to match how much they're speaking. But that person's making way more money than you. So you don't have to match, right? <laughs> right. But I was, I, it was a mystery. It was like, when someone would pitch a beat for a story, and I was like, how do you know where it goes? How do you, how do you, is anybody, and then I pitch something and then they'd say no. And I'm like, well, how do you know it's no good? I mean, I trust you, but how do you know? 
And so that just took years and years of practice and, and learning. And uh, eventually you get good at it. You learn how to break a story. But at the time, it was a mystery. It was like a magic trick. Yeah, and I definitely want to get into that a little bit more. But I also want to ask, what was the first script, the first screenplay that you ever wrote? And, and what is it about? The perf- that I got paid for? No, just the first script you ever wrote. Oh, I think it might have been a cheer spec or it might have been a Golden Girls, which I loved. Uh-huh. Golden Girls. Uh-huh. I mean, and now that show would never be on the air, you know. Right. <laughs> Who would put some 70-year-old woman on the air? But back, you know, back then, every you know, you could, you could love it. But now it's like, what's the entry point? Millennials won't watch it. Like, yeah, they would. It was a great show. Well, yeah. and how many scripts do you think you'd written before you would actually sold your first script e- or easily- you know, gotten a paycheck as a as a writer? easily eight or 10. I mean, we just kept on banging out specs until, and ironically, it was the first one that my partner and I wrote together. Easily 10. Um, the first one we wrote together was the one, it was a friend spec and it wound up getting us work eventually. But it, at the time it didn't, the, our agent didn't think much of it. So we kept on just writing more and more and more. And I think a lot of writers just give up and they go, well, here's my spec. It's like, no, no, no. You got to constantly work on your craft. You have to, it's how, it's how you learn. You know, just polish it, you know? Yeah, no, I hear that from lit reps across town. It's you have to be consistent, you have to be uh, productive, and you have to constantly be having more material yep. ready to go. Not even just in terms of what you're saying, in terms of getting better, which is obviously crucial as well. But because you write one thing, if it doesn't sell, if you don't have anything else, then they just sit on their hands and do nothing. Right. So, right. Uh, it's it's about constantly um, developing and working. Even yeah. now, I have to write you know, samples, new samples and specs just to keep things fresh and show them we can do this or that. So, Now, writing with a partner, uh, we've only had a few writing partnerships on, and it's always interesting to hear from you guys how your partnership works in terms of writing, because everyone obviously is different. Every writer is different. So how does your writing partnership work? But de- the delegation of or split of responsibilities, things like that. We, we've been partners for like 25 years, a long time. And there's a lot of trust. In the beginning, there's a lot of ego. No, my idea is better than your idea. And then when you get to know someone, you begin to trust. And now it's, there's very little, knock on wood, there's very little arguing. It's more like whoever's got the idea, great. That's one we'll do because that just gets us out, you know, it gets us home faster. <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, if his idea, if I'll, I will fall in love with his lines or his, his ideas. And he'll do the same for me. Sometimes we'll have an argument over something. And then the next day he'll come back. My partner, Steve, will say, no, you know what? I was thinking about you, uh, your idea and you're right. And I'm like, I don't even remember what my idea was. You know? <laughs> I, you know, I just as much like his idea. So uh, in the beginning, I was more of the joke guy and he was more the structure guy. Um, but I definitely think it's become more equal because the, a joke person really is... Um, you get the glory because you're the one who comes with the funny line, but sure. at the end of the day, you want the story person uh, on your team. That's, that's the more important job. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's also something that I wanted to talk a little bit more about. Sure. Um, now you've written for both live action and animation in, ter- yeah. um, in terms of uh, the workflow. How is that different in, in, in terms of what's asked of the writing staff? Well, you know, a multi-camera sitcom is, it's fun, but it's live theater mm-hmm. and the hours mm-hmm. tend to be difficult because you might be, you know, you, you have to, uh, you'll have a table read on Monday and then you'll shoot it on Friday. And then every day you have a rehearsal and then a network run through and maybe the network run through is not until 4 p.m. 
So at 4 p.m. you put the run through on, that takes an hour, then they give you notes and then you roll up your sleeves and you start the rewrite at 6 p.m. So you're starting your day's work at 6 p.m. and then it means you may be working till midnight or more or later. Single camera shows tend to be a little more sane, maybe not in the first year, but animated shows are kind of delightful. I mean, <laughs> you don't have that process. It takes nine months usually to animate one of these things. Uh, and there's a lot of take-home homework, but um, the hours tend to be better. Right. What kind of take-home homework? Well, if, if you're running the show, you have to watch cuts. You maybe want to, you have to look at storyboards and give notes on drawings or animatics, which are very crude uh, cuts. And, and then, of course, you have to go to the record, and you, it takes a while to record all the actors, and you have to listen to the record. And so it's a, long, it's a longer process. It takes nine months to mm-hmm. animate an episode. Now, how is staffing different for different show, like live action versus animation, or are they the same? I think it's the same. It's like I'm a writer. I'm not an animated writer or live action. I'm a comedy writer, so I'll do whatever. Um, but like King of the Hill, for example – it was a very realistic show. It's not mm-hmm. like uh, Simpsons or Family Guy where you get this crazy and wacky and people's heads blow up. It's very grounded. It's very much more, it feels like a movie. It's right, very right. real. Whereas sometimes you're, even a, um, a single camera, multi-camera sitcom can be much more cartoony. I think like Just Shoot Me was a little more cartoony than King of the Hill. Right, or, or 30 Rock. Yeah, or 30 Rock. And that's not a knock on. I love 30 no, Rock. No, I love 30 Rock. It's a great show. But tonally, you know, sure. it's more cartoony than King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, King of the Hill could have been Roseanne. If yeah. You could put live action actors in it and it would have been Roseanne, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, in terms of writing samples, mm-hmm. I've heard from other uh, showrunners who've showrun animated shows that they just take comedy scripts. It doesn't really, they don't specifically look for animated Yeah, I don't scripts. care. Is that the case? Yeah, I wouldn't care. There's no preference for, oh, you've written an animated show versus... It depends what the tone of the show is. Again, if it's, you know, if, the, if it's a big, broad comedy, then you want to make sure that their spec or their mm-hmm. sample writing is, can do that. But if, it's, if, you're, if I was running King of the Hill, I'd be happy to read a very grounded single camera uh, you know, live action. Right, right. Now, pitching is something that's obviously very important in terms of writing, the writing process, in terms of getting work. Uh, yeah. Now, both for pilots to executives, to producers, and show, show ideas to a showrunner uh, and the rest of the writing staff. Do you have any tips for writers who may not feel as experienced or as comfortable pitching their ideas or their story or their pilot to others? Usually if you are, I mean, it's really, it's rough. I, it's hard for all of us because we're, I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm not an actor. Mm-hmm. And you're expected to kind of perform and breathe life into it. And that's not, you know, it's weird. That's not the job I'm applying for. So why are you making me do that? But of course you have to do your best, Um, you know, to make it lively and kind of make it seem like you also want to make it seem like it's personal. It's coming from your own experience. You're the only one in the world who can write this show, which of course is not the case, but that's what they want to feel. Right. Right. Um, Now we talked just a few minutes ago about the importance of breaking story and how that's something that you sort of didn't learn early on. And that you learned it throughout you yeah, know, your your time, and obviously it's it's huge. In terms of, you know, it's not just about one story; it's about breaking a season and breaking a story that can, you know, uh, tell a story not only for that specific episode, but it fits within the show and stuff. Yeah. But um, now th- let's get into a little bit about this because I know you have a uh, uh, brand new an online 
course yeah. that you you have uh, a video series that you're you're putting out. Uh, by the time this airs, it'll be out, I believe. Right. Uh, but as of now, it's of the time of this recording, it's coming out very soon. Um, and in which you apparently describe and and give detailed information uh, from your years and years of experience in the industry into a variety of subjects, such as breaking story and stuff like that. This is not a paid ad, by the way. This is uh, you were gracious enough to come on and uh, share your King of the Hill stories with us, which I'm going to actually take you up on and uh, your experience with our audience. But also I do feel that, you know, this, this program sounds great. And you said the first three episodes or lessons are free. So that's uh, exciting. Um, but tell us a little bit first before we'll get into breaking story, but tell us a little bit about uh, what your online course consists of and what was the the inception of it and that kind of thing. Well, I have a friend who went to film school and he mm-hmm. wants to be a writer. And so I, I'm constantly telling him and reading his scripts and giving him notes and kind of helping him along the way. And for years, he's been like, you got to make a course because we didn't learn any of this in film school. And he spent a bundle in film school. So I'm like, ah, I don't need the time. And then, then of course, the pandemic hits and now we're stuck in the house and I got nothing but time. Mm-hmm. So I put together a course and, uh, and he helped me, he built the website. He helped me with the whole thing. But to me, the most important, the, the, the biggest lesson that I think I impart is like how to break stories. Like when you have an idea, well, okay, is that idea, is there, is there enough legs on that idea? Can, is it just a joke? Is it a scene or is it a story? Is it enough for a story? And if you have an idea, is that the first act break? Does it go at the second act break? Or is it somewhere in the middle of act two? Like, how do you know where all these ideas that you have, where do they go? And so this is kind of what I teach so that when you have your idea and you're writing your spec, you know, you actually hear my voice in your head. You go, oh, that's second act break. I know exactly where that goes. And so that's, to me, that's like pulling the curtain back and seeing how to do all this. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can get into now uh well what for example what are some of the other things besides breaking story and i think you had mentioned uh staffing and things like that yeah what are some like, of the things that you teach in in the course it's like six it's it's almost seven hours of videos and each mm-hmm. one is kind of different like a half hour course mm-hmm. on uh how to break in or uh how to create memorable characters how to outline how to um, how to break your story it's basically from beginning to from your idea to inception to delivery of your script. So it's the whole thing. Um, it's my background's in comedy, but I also ran with my partner a show called Marin, which was hmm. a comedy, it was but a it was a dark show. comedy. There was no, there was, it wasn't very funny. It was very, it was very dramatic. There had funny moments. For sure. So the lessons that I teach are really applicable to story. It could be screenwriter, uh, screenplays or plays or single camera, multi-cameras, you know, drama, whatever. So. Yeah, no, Marin was great. So it was a fun job. Yeah. Yeah, no, I bet. Uh, okay. So now getting to <clears throat> breaking story, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you can get a little bit into what you teach in the course about breaking story and some of the important lessons you teach about breaking story specifically. I think the, like, the very first thing I can put you on the spot mm-hmm. is like how people define story. Sure. And I, you're a writer, so it's no fun to ask you. But I think most people, most young writers, and you say, define what a story is. In one sentence, what a story is. And I think most people really struggle with that. They, they can feel it in their gut, but that doesn't mean they know. Like, if you, don't, if you can't define it, like, then you, how can you be expected to do it on a consistent basis? And so I always define story is a story recounts the struggle of a hero fighting an obstacle to achieve a goal. Hero, obstacle, goal. Mm-hmm. That's, 
That's it. Until you establish or until your audience can uh, discern those three elements, you're wasting their time and you're asking them to turn the channel or do something else. Right. And so it's all about how fast can you establish the hero obstacle goal? Faster, faster, sooner, faster. So that's the very first lesson I talk mm-hmm. about. And in today's, although maybe for comedy it's different, but I know for drama you have anti-heroes as well in terms of Breaking Bad and things like that. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, for sure. But in terms of like Walt was always, he always had a hero obstacle and goal. Now you may sure, say yeah. he was not a nice guy or he had right, a right, right. bad vision of what the world should be, but he still had a, he still had a, fulfill that structure so right no absolutely and, it, and by the way that show is in my opinion the best show in the history of shows yeah and it, vince gilligan is a genius yeah amazing absolutely we've well, also worked with another genius mike judge so oh mike he's a comedic genius yeah. yeah yeah um okay so breaking story uh, you said you learned that a lot when you didn't know breaking story when you forgot your first job on yeah. uh just shoot me and it's something that a lot of newer writers have to sort of learn on the job or in one of the fellowships, which I think maybe that's why, uh, well, that, and they're also, you got a free writer, which is why I think they staff yeah. quickly. But it's, it's not, that's not even something like, even on my, we did four years of just shoot me and then five on King of the Hill, even on mm-hmm. King of the Hill, we would break stories in smaller rooms. Mm-hmm. And so you definitely had to step up, but even then, I you I always had my was, my hand was always being held by a writer who was more senior than me. Sure, it wasn't really until we ran our own show, which was the first show we ran was called Glenn Martin DDS. It was a stop motion animation show. Um, it wasn't until we did that that I was like, okay, I better figure out how to how to write story, how to break story. That's like sink or swim. Wow. And so that's when you really kind of learn how to do it. Right. When you're the boss. Until then, you're kind of, you're not really paying attention. You're kind of winging it. <laughs> well, it's like someone else is doing the heavy lifting. So you're right. like, okay. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Now, how does that take, like maybe take us through in a writer's room, breaking a story, who are the people involved and sort of maybe what is the process of it? Like who brings up the first idea and how does that sort of germinate into the story for that episode and the arc in terms of the whole season? I think well, often the, uh, the showrunner will have mm-hmm. an idea for an arc that they'll come and say, listen, we want these characters to get married or whatever. Right. And that, of course, you want to stretch out. Um, but I think for a, like a great job for a staff writer is to come up with a lot of ideas. Like that's how you can really be helpful in the room. Mm-hmm. Have a notebook full of ideas and, and hopefully you'll know which ones are good and which ones are bad. But often we'll be sitting around and like we're at an impasse and some brave staff writer will say, oh, I have an idea. And I'm like, yeah, let's hear it because I, <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't do the work, so let's see what you got to do. And then they'll throw out an idea, and then that's kind of when I take over, and I'll go, or co-execs will take over and go, great, this goes here, this goes there, you know? What constitutes an idea that's valuable to, are you talking about like a suggestion, or are you talking about literally a story about Bobby Hill, who, you know, going, joining the Boy Scouts and discovering that, he doesn't like the outdoor or something like that. And then Hank has to convince him he likes the outdoor is those kinds of ideas, or just something as simple as, you know, we haven't explored uh, John Redcorn this season. So what do we do that? I mean, how de- detailed of an idea are you talking about Bre- before you bring what, it up? Yeah. I, my opinion, I, if you have the one liner, that's funny, mm-hmm. then 
That's all you need. So sure. for example, I, when I was there, my friend JB Cook, he had a great idea for an episode. And it was that it was Bobby. Uh, Bobby takes a women's self-defense course. Uh-huh. That's great. That's it. It's one of my favorite episodes. It's a great one. Yeah. Right? And that's all he said. That's all he said. But when he said that, you go, oh, that's funny. You can see why that's right. So you can see, okay, now we, you, you can see the scenes. He's in a right. self-defense class. He's surrounded by other women. He's I don't saying, know you. Give me my, give me back my purse. purse. That's yeah, my purse. that's my purse. And yeah. so that's all he pitched. Right. And so, but he didn't pitch anything vague. It wasn't like, um, you know, let's explore these two dynamics. It right. Was, what's the concrete pitch? Sure. Sure. No, that's great. Yeah. And what level was he, just out of curiosity, at that time? He was probably a co-producer or producer. Okay. But and it was and of course that I, that idea doesn't doesn't fold in the other characters like we don't know what Peggy's attitude or Hank's attitude sure. is we, so there's still plenty of work and that's the job of the higher up writers to mm-hmm. kind of figure that out but that one line is like great come up with those right now you had mentioned a great thing for newer writers staff writers story editor to come up with a ton of ideas that's that's a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah. Now every room is different. Some I've heard of some rooms where the showrunner, the the job of a staff writer is just to sit there, be quiet. That could be learn. true. <laughs> right. Or yeah. like you said, I mean, I've heard of other showrunners who are like, if you've got a great idea, we'd love to hear it. And especially in comedy, mm-hmm. a lot of times the staff is heavy on the lower end because mm-hmm. the more jokes, the more funny people in a room, the funnier the show can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so just in terms of your experience, mm-hmm. how can a, young, a newer writer determine if it's appropriate to be churning out ideas and when is too much too much uh, versus maybe this is a show that I sort of don't do that so I don't kind of get called out for... Yeah, you got to read the room. I think a lot. I think a lot of times, young writers they feel a lot of pressure. How can mm-hmm. I contribute? And sure. I and I, if that person over there, she's talking this much and she's a co-exec, I better match. Do as, you know? I better speak just as much. But like I said, you're not getting paid as much as they are, and you don't have to do that. And certainly, read the temperature of the room. I think I've been on some staffs where there's some young writers kind of monopolizing the conversations and maybe pushing back too much. That's not your job, right? Uh, at all, your yeah, job. Yeah. Your job isn't even to make the best show. Your job is to make the best version of the show that the showrunner wants to make. Mm-hmm. And so you don't, you shouldn't be arguing with the showrunner about, well, this is better if we, and like, I'm always like, yikes, man, what are you trying to do? Fired. <laughs> like, that, they want to have a show. Let's just help them make their show. They right. hired us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you can bring up, a, if you have opposition for something, bring it up once and then distant back off. If they don't like it, back up. Mm-hmm. Don't say it again. It's enough. Um, the show I'm currently on, Tacoma FD, the uh, the showrunners are also the stars. And so far every season, they come in with a bunch of ideas. And so we just do their ideas. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they come with a list of ideas. They put them on the board. And, and our job is to figure out, okay, how can these two ideas go together? Is, it, is that really enough of an idea? Or is it just a line? Is it mm-hmm. can we stretch into a story? Or is it, is it not enough? So, mm-hmm. And that's got to be interesting working with. Oh, it's Show, fun. Showrunners who are actually performers. Yeah, because they, they act it out. I mean, we, we do these scenes and someone's on pitch something that's really outrageous and I'll look at them and they're like, Mm-mm. no, I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah, let's do it. And like, <laughs> <laughs> like I can't twist your arm. No. <laughs> um, what are some of the other dynamics or some of the other things that newer writers should know going into a writer's room for the first time? There 
and the, I, I'm guilty of this, or mm -hmm. I was guilty of this. So there's something we call pitch don't bitch. Have you, you heard that expression? I haven't, no. You haven't, okay. So pitch don't bitch means it's so much easier for a young writer or a new writer to shit on someone's idea. Oh, yes. Is to come up with their own. Mm -hmm. Because now that I don't think they come up with rules, they, a lot of people love to pitch rules and pitch theory, but I'm like, well, what's concrete? What are we looking at? Mm -hmm. What's the scene? What's your, if you don't like my idea, fine. What's your idea? Mm -hmm. And that's when they clam up because it's not so easy to come up with an idea. Right. So if you don't have a solution to the problem, don't point out the problem if you don't have right. a solution. Yeah. No, I've heard that a lot. I just didn't know the term I hadn't, I hadn't yeah, heard. Pitch, so, don't pitch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's great. That's yeah. absolutely valuable. And you may feel, but I'm helping the show. It's like, yeah, but you're not helping your career. Right. You know? <laughs> well, helping the show is finding a solution. Not because yeah. if you're, if you see the problem, I'm sure most of the writers in that room see the problem, but if you don't have a solution for it, it's something better then it's not really doing. It's like, like you're, they're kind of doing the job of the network executive. Like they're the network executive is happy to tear apart your script. Sure. That's their job. As a, well, right? as a writer, you're not getting paid to do that. Right. So, right. What else you got? Anything else that, that staff writers or new writers coming into a writer's room should know? Those are like the big ones, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then like when you were a, a, a lower level writer and you'd said you sort of were handheld by upper levels. Yeah. What are some of the things that you, they helped you with? There was, when I was on Just Shoot Me, this is season one. Mm -hmm. I'd finally gotten my big break. And everyone in the room, I, the, 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 staff, the writing staff in that room was incredible. It was like all these power hitters who went on to great things, but had already done great things before that. And they're so witty. And I remember just pitching on jokes. And um, <clears throat> first of all, they'd, they'd say something that I'd laugh hysterically. So I can't think if I'm laughing at the same time. And then we'd pitch on a line and I couldn't beat them to the punchline. They don't like everyone else is piling on. And I'm like, but, but, but. and I remembered confiding in Marsh McCall, who was, or who he, at the time he, he had just finished running uh, Conan. Hmm. And he was a producer on just shoot me. And he was a, he was a good friend. He passed a few years ago, but he gave me some great advice, which I always share, which is, I was like, Marsh, I can't beat these people to the punchline. He's like, you shouldn't even try to beat them, beat them to the punchline. They're running headfirst at that wall and you're never going to beat them because they're faster than you. So if you want to go over that wall, you dig around it, go around it, dig underneath it, find another way to get to a punchline other than the one everyone else is pitching on. Go around it. And I was like, and it opened my eyes. I was like, you can go around the wall. You don't have to go over the wall. You can go through it. Like it didn't even occur to me that there's other ways. Mm -hmm. And that's what being creative is. It's like find out, you know, opening your mind. I, I, I was so focused on not... Uh, uh, being, you know, a good boy, that it didn't occur to me that I could cheat and go around. Right. So, it's not not cheating, but yeah, it's not cheating, yeah, but yeah. it didn't occur to like there's no right. there's no cheating in creativity. Yeah, but yeah. I was like, no, you have to go over the wall. You have to right. Climb over the wall. Now, speaking of about like finding a different way through, around, under, over the wall, uh, and talking about newer writers. Mm -hmm. And also just staff, because a lot of young writers start off or new writers start off as support staff. Yeah. You know, writer's assistants, writer's PAs, uh, script coordinators, whatever. And their goal is to obviously be in that room as a writer. Right. <clears throat> Talking about support staff, but also newer writers, what are some of the things they can do them they can do to make themselves invaluable? Because I hear that a lot from showrunners. They make yourself invaluable. Like do things that make yourself valuable, not just writing 
but yeah. do something, you know, what are some of the other things that you've seen uh, support staff or staff writers, younger, newer writers do that made you go, hmm, I like this writer. I'm glad you other writers, uh, showrunners have pointed that out because I feel the same yeah. exact way. Um, so your first, when you're in the writer's room or just around, your job is to help. Don't even think about getting a script the first year. Don't, don't, that put it out of your head. It's not going to happen. Don't ask for it. It's inappropriate. Your job is just to go above and beyond. And we, and a number of times when we were running Marin, we had a couple of staff, we had a couple of writer's assistants who were just like, like every time I dropped a ball, they were, they were there. They picked me, they picked it up. Like I'd forget like, and I was like, Oh wait, did I turn this into the network? Yep. Here it is. You already did this. I have a copy for you. Like they were, they were doing my job basically, not the mm-hmm. writing part, but the organizational yeah. part. And I was so grateful for that. And they, um, and of course we wound up giving a lot of them. We give breaks to some of them worked out. Some of them didn't, but, but that's how they were like, they showed up on time. They were responsible. If I had, if I, if I lost my script, here's another one. Like they were just on top of it, you know? Because I, you know, I, that when you're doing that creative job, you're really focused on one thing, which is telling a good story, and all the other stuff is like I, I can't even put the bandwidth there. Mm-hmm. So now, every showrunner is different. Every room is different. Just for as an example, what are some of the the rooms? different varying room dynamics that you've seen, whether it's a showrunner being involved in a lot of the uh, the writers' rooms. Mm-hmm. themselves and then versus some that are just there once in a while and they have another upper level handling most of that yeah. while they handle the production side. That's kind of toxic. I always feel when yeah. the showrunner is not in the room, that's a recipe for disaster. And I've been on some shows like that and it's just, it, those are miserable experiences because then they, they hand off the job of show running to the number two mm-hmm. and the number two is trying to execute the job as best as he or she can. And it's impossible because you know, you don't, you're not in that, per, you're not in the showrunner's head. Right. So, I've been on other shows. I was on Out of Practice with uh, Chris Lloyd and Joe Keenan ran. And Chris Lloyd, honestly, one of the best uh, comedy writers in the business for sure. And he wouldn't even go out to, for casting. He was always in the room for the writing. For writing. He would delegate casting to someone else. But other showrunners, sure, I'll go to casting. I'll go to editing. Anything, mm-hmm. to, anything but write. But Chris was like, no, I'm a writer. I'm here, I'm writing. And it was like, it, it was such a relief to have that, uh, his guidance in the room at all times. Mm-hmm. A big thing that I think a lot of newer writers are surprised at and enjoy is actually being involved in the production of their own episodes, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's going to set or being involved in post or anything like that. Yeah. Not just being in the writer's room, but actually in, in being involved in the production side of it. Yeah. Uh, how does that work in animation? Uh, it, you know, I, I can see why it's fun for the writers to do it for sure. Mm-hmm. It's also a little bit of a headache for the showrunner because oh, okay. you're getting you're getting an extra layer of notes. Like you know, you'll watch a cut and then then you you know what it should be. Then you let the writer weigh in and like, okay, now I got to honor what the writer wants, or I have to listen, or or if I don't like their ideas, I have to tell them why. So it it slows things down. So sometimes it's just not possible, mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes uh, if you have enough people on staff, you're like, yeah, come with me to editing, come with me to the, to the mix, just so you can see what it is and you can mm-hmm. weigh in, you know. So it just depends on the time frame, like how much of a crunch you're on. Right, right. Now, in terms of live action, because obviously animation is different. I, I'm not too privy to all the different steps of production in mm-hmm. animation and how the writer slash writer producer is involved in that. But for example, in live action, a, pro- a writer producer being on set should 
technically be the showrunner's uh, sort of sounding proxy. board yeah. proxy yeah. Uh, so that the showrunner doesn't have to be there all the time. Uh, wouldn't that make their job easier potentially? Oh yeah. I mean, we, when we have, um, yeah. And then, and then you're always nervous. You were like, I better, am I, right. making, am I doing what the showrunner wants? Cause then you're like, so it's more like if something screws up or something doesn't write, then maybe you'll call the showrunner and say, Hey, you should know about this mm-hmm. on the, the shows, the live action shows we've run. We got all the writing done in pre-production and my partner and I were always on set to troubleshoot. So mm-hmm. that was, you know, but, so, but being on set, like it must seem fun, but you know, when you spend a couple of days on set, you're like, I don't know. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the best part and worst part? Uh, I've worked in production, so I, I have on features, so it's it's a little bit different. But what's the best part for you of being on set? And what's the worst part about being on set? Besides you know, answering a million questions, which I'm sure as a showrunner. Yeah, you're as a million questions. Job, yeah. Everyone wants an answer from you. And I'm always mm-hmm. like, well, what do you think? <laughs> you <know? laughs> like a lot of times the, the makeup people or the hair or the wardrobe, they say, what do you, this one or this one? And I'm like, okay. what do you think? Right. Like, and then they, you empower them to do their job. And they're like, you're the best showrunner in the world. I'm like, right, right. because I'm not making decisions. <laughs> right. You know, I'm empowering you to make a decision. Right. You're not micromanaging. Um, so they like that. And, yeah. you know, I'm okay with that. Uh, but, but sitting on a director's chair, like, ooh, you're in a director's chair in front of the monitor. Like, those things are so uncomfortable. Like, you look so important in a director's chair. They're so uncomfortable. Your back hurts. It's hot. It's cold. So... You know, it's it's fun to work with the actors and 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 work with the director to make sure it's kind of like you're making sure that, especially for comedy, is the is it working? Is, mm-hmm. it, is it paced up? Um, and sometimes you work with the directors who are kind of on the same page. And I've I've worked we work with directors who who are great, who are like one step ahead of us. And you're like, this is going to be easy. I can just sit here on this uncomfortable directing chair all day, and they'll do the job. So it just depends on if you're seeing eye to eye with them, I guess. Right now. Uh, I've been uh, in. I've I've visited the sets of shows that are uh, multi-cam during production mm-hmm. when they're shooting, and there's a lot of ad-libbing going on. It's a lot of improv, a lot of testing out different lines, even yeah. on set. Like you'd said, I mean, it's it's you're it's go go go, and and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Uh, actors improving lines and sometimes that doesn't work and all of a sudden mm-hmm. all the writers huddle up and they're coming yeah. up with jokes on the spot kind of thing yeah. on live action how often does that, something like that happen how often are the actors allowed to either ad lib or, jo- or writers throwing out jokes all the time because on live action uh, um, on, on a single cam are your writers i'm assuming your entire writing staff is not present on that day not whereas, usually whereas yeah. on, on on multi-cam they often are or yeah, at least a big usually. majority of them right so it's you know it, the thing is when all week long you're working on these jokes and the scripts and you go this is funny this is funny and then you put it up on its feet with an audience and here's this line that's in the script that you think is going to get a laugh and the audience doesn't laugh that's when you huddle mm. so it's not really so much like hey what if we're, let's try this let's try this sure. it's more like oh shit let's try something else because this right. isn't working as far as actors ad libbing you know it, it kind of just depends on the vibe of the set and and how if how if they're huge stars then you're not going to stop them sure <laughs> you know, there's nothing you can do about that right uh, and sometimes they're great and sometimes uh most you know usually the first pass you have the actors stated as written and then if you do the second or third pass you go hey try something else if you got you know try it why not mm-hmm. we already have it on tape so especially I, I guess if you're dealing with comedians as opposed yeah. to actor traditional actors yeah who aren't as good at improv and things like that uh, yeah. stand up um now, comedy is is 
subjective, but it's also not at the same time. I mean, I think comedy is, is an art. I find having written drama and now venturing into comedy, the comedy is to me more difficult. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And that's just me personally. And also as actors, I always found comedy mm-hmm. actors can always move into drama. Yeah. Uh, because they understand timing and they understand mm-hmm. improv and, and sort of being in that moment uh, where it's not always the same. The other, I, I totally agree, you know, um, but I, just talking about comedy, uh, if somebody is not necessarily a great joke writer, mm-hmm. how can they get better if they want to write comedy? Like, do they take an improv class? Do they take start oh. doing stand up? Is it something that's just inherent in your, pretty much out of luck you know improv is a great idea it's mm-hmm. a great and I, i've taken some you know the power of saying yes and and keeping a mind open um you know if you're not funny though if you weren't born funny it's not gonna happen like and i've worked with some comedy writers and you're like are you should you be here you know because <laughs> they're just not funny and i don't know how they got their foot in the door and sometimes they wind up migrating to drama and also many comedy writers go to drama just because they want to try something else. Mm-hmm. But like, if you don't have the funny bone, like you can get better, but I don't think comedy can be taught. I think whatever level you are, you can get a little better, but I don't, you know, mm-hmm. especially get freer. Like I, I, I think I'm much better at my job now than I was years ago. I mean, sure. Now it's much, it's, it's just much easier. Right. Being funny. Yeah. So in terms of, <clears throat> cause I've also heard of, the sort of the reverse I've heard of showrunners Roseanne being an example hiring mm-hmm. stand-up comedians right be on staff and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't because maybe right. they're great at jokes but they have zero concept of story at all exactly, exactly. And so right. that can be a problem as well right um what is your take on on like hiring stand-up comedians and I've worked oh. with many. Mm-hmm. To me, like if, if you're ju- choosing sides, I always take a story person first. Hmm. Like, oh, give me someone who's good with story. I don't care how funny you are. That we can do it. That's always the last coat of paint you put on. Right. Uh, so I'm always less worried about, are you funny or not? I want to know, do you understand story? And then we can make it funny later. Right. And in terms of, of scripts, mm-hmm. pilots, uh, there are definitely different kinds of of comedy whether it's uh multi-cam where the jokes come fast and furious or right. single cam you can get away with a lot more physical comedy or other types of comedy yeah. uh, awkwardness is shows a lot better obviously in 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 single cam yeah um as a writer like if they're trying to figure out how much comedy how many jokes to put in mm-hmm. uh is enough i should say not even just how many because you obviously try to make as, as funny as you can the more mm. jokes the better how much is enough? Like, like, and a multi-camera used to say sure. like three jokes per page. Yeah. Uh, I also think like if you have three jokes and or two and a half, and one of those jokes is like it's not so good, I always say no joke is better than a bad joke. Okay. Like, pull it out. Go straight. Yeah. If it's not if it's not worth doing, if it's a dumb pun or whatever, don't do it. Take it out because it yeah. hurts. It it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Right. Um. But yeah, like um. What was it? Yeah, th- I, kind of three. Yeah, just a lot of. Oh, I remember. Actually, and just shoot me. This is how naive it was. I was like, okay, so I made the punchline funny. Let me see if I can make the setup line funny. I'm going to make everything funny in the script. And like, it's so wrong, man. You don't make the setup line funny. The setup line straight. The punchline sure. funny. 
Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, I follow you. I would twist everything or like then you make a punchline and then put, put a punchline on top of the punchline. And it's like, no, no, just go with a laugh. Just stop reinventing the comedy. Stop being so greedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that was just my being new to it. So Sure. Uh, and it's interesting that you say that because I actually took uh, a Silicon Valley, I think it was, a pi- not the pilot, a, a, an episode, or maybe it was the pilot. I don't remember mm-hmm. what it was. And I broke it down and I tried to, as best I could, pick out the specific jokes and I circled them. And I tried to find not just moments of humor or awkwardness, but like a specific, you know, setup and punchline type of joke. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there were in that episode, there were eight or nine. I don't think they were, it got hit double digits of uh-huh. actual joke. Again, set up punchline right. joke. There's a lot of funny moments and, and awkwardness and other things that, that were amusing in the episode that made you laugh. Right. But the actual jokes were far more limited than I thought. Cause I'd laugh a lot when I watched that show. Right. So to me, <laughs> it was surprising to see how few like straight up jokes there were right. in, of course that's different than like Roseanne. Or, you know, or, or like, or, like I remember watching Arrested family. Development. Yeah. Arrested Development was so funny that yeah, I would watch yeah. it and I would like, don't laugh. Because if I laugh, I'm going to miss the next joke. Right. Like it was that funny. Yeah. I mean, and it was yeah, kind of one on top of the other. Yeah. 30 Rock's the same way, I think. Yeah. It's just so funny. Yeah. But yeah, not all shows are like that. Not all comedies are like that. And I bet you The Office probably isn't like that either. No, I don't think so. Yeah. But it's interesting if you take an episode and you break it down and you try to see exactly how many jokes are in it and for a lot of these single cams they're not right. three jokes on a page so right that's but you're smart to study that i mean i don't know if everybody does but that's how you that's how you do it you yeah study. and that's how you learn yeah. you know the different that they're all very different and uh you know for somebody who's not necessarily a comedian per se you can see how different shows work like barry obviously uh, yeah. you know i i doubt <laughs> highly doubt that there's three on every page in yeah. fact i can say yeah, that's probably a great not. show too yeah right. What are some of your favorite shows? What are you watching? I like Barry. And right now, um, you know, I don't, I haven't been watching, I, I, I tend to watch more dramas than comedies. To me, watching a comedy is almost like, it's almost like homework. It's like, yeah. uh, I feel like, uh, like when I used to feel that way sometimes when I watch Arrested Development. I go, the plot lines were so intricate, but I'm, in my mind, I'm like, oh no, they were there till three in the morning. I can tell they were there till three in the morning on that storyline. And it makes me, it gets me a pit in my stomach. <laughs> so I tend to watch a lot of dramas and, um, get lost in it that way it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like home it feels very fresh to me not like uh work mm-hmm. what what dramas are you watching anything good you know i'm behind the ball I, fi- I just finished uh game of thrones like this is great i think the best one ever is breaking bad i mean every story yeah. I, just, I was like did god write all these like who, who was it handed down from god? right <laughs> so did you see succession uh, I saw a little bit of it, but no, I haven't. But you love it, huh? It's such a great show. Yeah. yeah. Chernobyl. That's a miniseries, though, but that's a yeah. great show. Right. Um, yeah, there's so much great television. The, the yeah. What do they call it? The second or third, depending, golden age. Depending there's on what a lot. Think. There's a lot. Out. There's yeah. so much out there. It's hard to know what to watch, right? Right. Um, so are you going to stick around for a little few minutes for the here. unscripted after show? Thank you. Sure. Great. 
Um, so we're going to wrap up. And then uh, if you're around, join us on the, uh, on Patreon for the unscripted. Oh, should episode. I tell everybody what the, 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 uh, the link, what the course link is? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry about that. And we'll definitely have all the links on the description. Oh, because well, I want to tell everybody that they get, they, they, I want to give them a discount. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So why don't you give us the, all the details? What, what, where can we find out about your, does it, does your course have a name? It should have a name. It's called the showrunner's guide to TV writing. And, um, but you could find it. The link is Michael Jammin, J-A-M-I-N. So it's Michael Jammin uh, slash Scribes. Okay. I named it for you. So oh, if you right. hit that link, right. then they automatically get a discount and they automatically get three free episodes. If oh, they perfect. don't use that link, they won't get it. That's why I wanted to mention it. Yeah, no, that's great. So definitely check that out. We'll have the link. So if you're watching this on YouTube, it'll be in the description box below. Okay. If you're listening uh, on the website or wherever, we'll have the description or the link so you can click it directly or you can just go to Michael Jammin, J-A-M-I-N uh, dot com, right? Yes, uh, michaeljammin.com slash scribes. Okay, yeah. and you get the first three episodes for free and uh, discount, so yeah. definitely check that out. Applied. Yeah. So definitely check that out uh, and learn more about Breaking Story because it's harder than you think it is. Yeah, um, <laughs> we both know that. Yeah. Um, and be sure to follow Michael on Twitter. It's at michaeljammin2. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to be confused with Michael Jammin one. We don't know him. Who apparently is either a football player or a coach of some kind. Is he? Uh, uh, well, because I checked his followers. He has three followers, and I think they're two are high school football players, and one is a football coach. So I'm assuming that maybe he's involved in football somehow, like a coach and you know high school player, like a college should, coach or something. Trade places with him for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you're not Mike at Michael Jammin three, who apparently does not exist. So oh no, yeah. there's only but two mostly I'm on Facebook. If you want to find me there, um, it's uh, it's what is it, Michael Jammin writer on Facebook. Okay. And then it's also, you have your website at uh, michaeljammin.com. Yeah. Right. Um, and all over if, the web. All over the web. That's great. <laughs> so you, are, you cannot hide from yeah. everyone out there. Uh, and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Uh, Michael, hang out for a minute. And thank you guys all for listening. And Thanks for having me. Time.